0: Welcome to Russian history retold. Episode 215, Nikolai Ivanovich Vavilov and the Leningrad Seed Bank. Last time, we talked about the Russian-Ukrainian crisis. Today, I want to get back into history with a story about the heroic actions of a group of scientists at the Seed Bank during the siege of Leningrad and their inspiration Nikolai Ivanovich Vavilov. My sources for today's podcast includes On Stalin's Team by Sheila Fitzpatrick, Khrushchev by William Taubman, The Murder of Nikolai Vavilov by Peter Pringle, and an unusual source, the book Cosmos by Anne Druyanne. It is the last book that actually sparked my interest in Nikolai Vavilov. The television series Cosmos, that was hosted by Neil deGrasse Tyson, had an episode, I think it was number four, that included this remarkable man's life, as well as the scientists who protected the seed bank from destruction. And I have to thank my daughter, Annika, for giving me the book for my recent birthday. Nikolai Vavilov was born on November 25th, 1887, in Moscow, into a merchant family. His younger brother, Sergei, was to become a world-renowned physicist, heading the USSR Academy of Sciences from 1945 until his death in 1951. Nikolai would have two sons, Oleg and Yuri, and two wives, Ekaterina Sakharova and Elena Ivanovna Bariolina. The latter was an agricultural geneticist, as was her husband, specializing in, of all things, lentils. Before we go further on about the life of our focus, I want to share a lengthy section from the introduction to Peter Pringle's fabulous book, The Murder of Nikolai Vavilov. Pringle recounts a conversation he had with a Russian friend of his while he served as a foreign correspondent in Moscow during the waning days of the Soviet government. Quote: Nikolai Vavilov was a botanist and geneticist, a plant breeder, an intrepid explorer and an organizer of science. He had an ambitious plan to end famines throughout the world. He wanted to use the new science of genetics to breed varieties that would grow where none had survived before. The key was a treasure trove of genes he was sure he could find in the unknown and wild types that had been ignored by our ancestors as they started farming more than 10,000 years ago. He further goes on to write, quote, in the 1920s, Nikolai Vavilov roamed the world hunting for these wild varieties of wheat, corn, rye, and potatoes. He built the first international seed bank of food plants, a magnificent collection of hundreds of thousands of botanical specimens, a living library of the world's genetic diversity that would preserve species from extinction and could be used to breed his new miracle plants. Later, Pringle recounts Vavilov's importance to the new Bolshevik regime. Quote, In the first years after the 1917 revolution, Vladimir Ilyich Lenin understood the ultimate economic power of Nikolai Vavilov's dream to push Russia into the forefront of world food production, and he supported Vavilov's expeditions. But Lenin dies in 1924, and his successor, Joseph Stalin, had a very different priority. Russians were starving. Stalin's forced collectivization of Russian agriculture had disrupted the harvests and a widespread famine would claim millions of lives. The shortage of food was also a constant threat to the revolution. Stalin gave Vavilov three years to produce his numerical plants, an impossible task, as Vavilov knew, to breed Improved varieties using the new science of genetics took 10 to 12 years. Impatient and ruthless, Stalin charged geneticists like Vavilov with treason, calling them wreckers and saboteurs. They were jailed or executed. Vavilov died of starvation in 1943 in jail. Just imagine, said my Russian friend, the man who wanted to feed the world died of hunger and Stalin's prisons. According to a 2011 National Geographic article entitled, entitled Food Ark," Vavilov was, quote, the son of a Moscow merchant who'd grown up in a poor rural village plagued by recurring crop failures and food rationing. Vavilov was obsessed from an early age with ending famine in both his native Russia and the world. As you know from my past podcast episodes, I've covered a number of famines that have plagued Russia, Ukraine, and neighboring countries over the centuries. This history of starvation was one of the driving forces behind Nikolai's passion of studying solutions to this ongoing need. Vavilov graduated in 1910 from the Russian State Agrarian University, Moscow to Agricultural Academy. It was named after Clement Arkadyevich Timuraisev, a follower of Darwinism, applying it to botany. His work would be a major influence in the life of Nikolai Vavilov. After graduation, starting in 1911, Vavilov worked at the Bureau for Applied Botany and at the Bureau of Mycology and Phytopathology for two years. Following that stint, for the next two years, he would travel throughout Europe studying plant immunity, along with British biologist William Bateson, who helped establish the science of genetics. Bateson was the first person to use the term genetics to describe the study of heredity, applying Gregor Mandel's to biology. This was another major influence in Vavilov's study of botany. Starting in 1917, Nikolai became a professor at the Faculty of Agronomy, University of Saratov. He would serve in this position until 1920 amidst the Russian Civil War. During his stay in Saratov, his first wife, Ekaterina, would give birth to his first son, Oleg. Vavilov's marriage would soon fall apart, mainly because of his spending long hours doing research as he is quoted as saying, quote, I really believe deeply in science. It is my life and the purpose of my life. I do not hesitate to give my life even for the smallest bit of science. This statement would, unfortunately, prove to be true. In 1920, Vavilov would present a major paper to the All-Russian Congress of Plant Breeders in Saratov. It was entitled, The Law of Homologous Series in Hereditary Variability. From the book Cosmos, it would show that, quote, the same genes perform the same functions in different species of plants. When two completely different plant species have similarly shaped leaves, that shape is caused by the same shared gene from a common ancestor. It was groundbreaking work. From here, Nikolai would scour the world for specimens of every type of plant he could find in order to discover their unique characteristics that would one day uncover the secrets that would stamp out hunger. Vavilov would travel to five continents. The stories of his exploits rival that of anything that Indiana Jones would go through in the movies. Vavilov would travel to Ethiopia in 1926, meeting a man named Ras Tafari. We know him better as a future ruler of the country, Haile Selassie. Back to the book Cosmos. Quote, While camping on the bank of the Tekzhi River, Vavilov wrote in his diary by a flickering lantern. It was his turn to stay awake all night on guard duty. Jacked up on caffeine and cradling a rifle, Vavilov sat in the tent while his men slept soundly. He could hear the cries of leopards in the night. But that didn't faze him. Then, in the dimness, he noticed that the entire floor of the tent seemed to be moving. As men began to stir and scream, the floor was crawling with enormous black venomous spiders and scorpions. Thinking fast, Vavilov moved his lantern outside the tent, and the invaders followed the light. There are tales of plane crashes in the Sahara trips through the mountain passes of Afghanistan, being surrounded by a pride of lions, treks through China, South America, and the island of Java. During these excursions, Vavilov would collect over 250,000 varieties of seeds. Because of his remarkable work, Nikolai would be one of the first people to be awarded the Lenin Prize in 1926. It was also the same year he would divorce his wife, Ekaterina. Vavilov would enter into a common-law marriage with Yelena Baryolina, someone he would remain faithful to until his death. When asked about his growing fame, Nikolai would say, me? I'm nothing special. It's my brother, Sergei, the physicist, who's the brilliant one. Unfortunately for Vavilov, another so-called scientist, a pea farmer, began to make his climb up the Soviet scientific ladder. He is a man I covered back in 2016 in episode 175, entitled, Charlatan, Conman, Murderer, Trofim Lysenko. This quack would reject much of Vavilov's ideas of genetics and heredity. Instead, he would come up with some outlandish, by today's standards, Ideas that soaking seeds in ice water would help the offsprings of the seeds to be resistant to cold weather. This concept is known as vernalization and would set back the field of agronomy and botany in Russia for 40 years. It would also cause the death of millions due to starvation and Vavilov's life due to his strong belief in the concept of science and facts. During his travels, Nikolai was also the director of the Lenin All-Union Academy of Agricultural Sciences at Leningrad from 1924 to 1935. Vavilov was also a member of the USSR Central Executive Committee and president of All-Union Geographical Society. His star was on the ascent, but a chance encounter in the Kremlin while rushing to a debriefing would change everything. There is an incident that I've not had much success verified that comes from Andrianne's Cosmos. In it, she claims that one day Vavilov was racing through the halls of the Kremlin late for a meeting, that he rounded a turn and crashed into none other than Joseph Stalin. The boss, noted for his paranoia, thought that this may be an assassination plot he knew was coming. Vavilov supposedly knew that his time was up after that incident. While making for great theater, I can't say that this really happened. It actually didn't need to occur, as Lysenko had already gotten the ear of Stalin and he hated Vavilov. Trofim Lysenko was a a very vindictive man who destroyed the careers of many who wouldn't back his beliefs and his so called science hundreds of scientists lost their jobs, were sent to the gulags, or, like Vavilov, would die because of Lysenko. It's rare to call a scientist evil, but in Lysenko's case, he fits the accusation. Whatever the truth of why Vavilov became an enemy in Stalin's eyes, by 1939, he was on the outside looking in. At the end of that year, Lysenko sent Nikolai to the Caucasus, under the guise of going on a scientific expedition. Vavilov knew that he was in deep trouble by then, telling colleagues that if he were to be arrested, they must protect the seed collection in Leningrad. They needed to save all of the notes, studies, and work they had struggled to complete over the past few decades. While away in the Caucasus, Lysenko fired and replaced the entire senior staff of the Leningrad Institute all 27 of them. While Vavilov complained bitterly, the damage was done. Lysenko was far more influential than he was. According to fellow researchers who survived the time, Nikolai seemingly gave up. One remembered a walk he and Vavilov had taken to return to the Institute from the book by Pringle, The Murder of Nikolai Vavilov. Quote, But he kept standing there looking toward the east over the roofs of the Yaroslavsky Railroad Station. He said he was looking in the direction of Siberia, and he talked about its natural resources and its massive, undeveloped farmland. Once again, I tried to get him indoors, but he wanted to stay out. He complained about his health and that his heart was weak, and his joints had started to ache. He was now 52 years old, and had rapidly become old for his age. In February 1940, tragedy struck when Nikolai's sister Alexandra fell ill and died on April 3rd, exactly two years after his mother passed away. Of the seven children born to his parents, only Sergei and Nikolai remained alive. Vavilov completed an important paper, The Introduction of Plants During the Soviet Era, where he showed how his team had planted a quarter million different varieties of all sorts of plants. He received an invitation to the Second International Congress of Pure and Applied Science of Physics, Chemistry, and Biology at Columbia University in New York City. Vavilov telegraphed Molotov, asking for permission to go, but nothing came of it. In May 1940, Nikolai was told that he was to go on another mission to western Ukraine. Remembering his last trip to the Caucasus, Vavilov sensed that he may never return to the Institute of Leningrad. Carefully, he reassigned members of the Institute of Genetics in Moscow to other departments, as he felt that Lysenko would attack there first. He was right. Vavilov would give his team a pep talk, you might say, he wanted them to understand that the seed collection and all of their work was the most important thing in the world. If they made it out alive, and if the Soviet Union came out of the war victorious, then their work might save the world. The trip to western Ukraine went on as planned. On August 5th, the expedition made it to the town of Chernobsky. The next morning, the group went out plant hunting as this was Vavilov's favorite thing to do. He found a unique plant and was excited to discuss his discovery that evening at dinner with the team. But at that moment, four NKVD agents entered the house they were staying at and announced that Vavilov was needed in Moscow immediately. By August 10th, Nikolai Vavilov was incarcerated at the notorious Lubyanka prison in Moscow. Vavilov was to undergo unspeakable torture. As Pringle puts it, quote, over the next 11 months, Vavilov would be interrogated almost 400 times for a total of 1,700 hours. Some of the sessions lasted up to 13 hours. His chief interrogator, a 33-year-old lieutenant named Alexander Kvat, had been an official with the Komsomol, the party's youth organization. Kvart had worked in the jails for two years and was known for his extreme methods. We have transcripts of the interrogation sessions between Kvat and Vavilov. They were first viewed in 1965 by Russian journalist Mark Popovsky. The entire file was given to Nikolai San Yuri, part of which was published in 2004. You can read some of the chilling back-and-forth conversations in Pringle's book, the murder of Nikolai Vavilov. Months of continued physical and mental torture continued until June 22, 1941, when Nazi Germany invaded the Soviet Union. Orders came down from Moscow to stop all interrogations. Nikolai, though, by now, was a shell of his former self. As one fellow prisoner would write, quote, Every night, Babilov was taken off for questioning. At dawn, a warden would drag him back and throw him down at the cell door. Vavilov was no longer able to stand and had to crawl on all fours to his place on the bunk. Once there, his neighbors would somehow remove his boots from his swollen feet, and he would lie still on his back for several hours. On July 9, 1941, a court led by three generals found Nikolai Vavilov guilty of all charges, including espionage. His sentence was death. Two of his comrades in science, Karpachenko and Govorov, were also found guilty, and they were immediately executed. After sending a letter to Beria, begging to be allowed to continue his work, Vavilov was told that the Supreme Soviet was going to commute his sentence to 20 years in prison. Ironically, Vavilov was transferred to a prison complex in Saratov, the town where in 1917 he would make his first mark as a professor of agronomy, The conditions in prison number one were appalling. The men were put into a tiny cell, two men on the bed, one lying on the table. As Pringle describes their meals, quote, they received food three times a day, two spoons of kasha in the morning, a tin cup of soup made from rotted salted tomatoes, with a piece of bad salt fish for the midday meal, and a spoonful of kasha. They were supposed to have 300 grams of black bread made from barley flour, but there was often a fight over the bread, the strongest taking it all. To amplify the tragedy of Vavilov was knowing that his wife Yelena and his son Yuri were living in Saratov while he was in prison number one, staying just 15 minutes away from them. In the middle of February 1943, Yelena was summoned to the Saratov NKVD office. She was scared that they were after her and her son. They asked her when was the last time she heard or saw from her husband. She said that it was before his trip to Ukraine in July 1940. They nodded and let her go. Nikolai Vavilov had died on January 26, 1943. Just two days before his death, Vavilov was taken to the local hospital. He is said to have commented quote, You see before you, talking of the past, the academician Vavilov, but now, according to the opinion of investigators, nothing but done. As Pringle so poignantly puts it, quote, the eminent plant hunter who had a plan to feed the world had died of starvation. This story does not end with Vavilov's death. Leningrad was under siege. Stalin had ordered the artwork of the Hermitage to be evacuated from the city, but not Vavilov's seed collection. Hitler, though, coveted the collection and had an SS unit specifically assigned to get control of it. Those botanists that Vavilov had trained and made promise that they would protect the seeds with their lives, if necessary, would not let anyone get to it. Two years into the siege and still the scientists held strong although they were slowly starving to death as their mentor would do. They would die at their desks surrounded by peanuts peas seeds enough to feed all of them for years yet they touched nothing. The siege was lifted and the institute with all its incredible treasure survived all because of the man who believed in truth Science and Integrity, Nikolai Vavilov. Lysenko, for his part, would be proven to be the farce that he was in 1967. Today, Vavilov is remembered as one of the world's greatest scientists. The Institute of Plant Industry is now named after him. His dream of collecting and protecting the seeds of every plant imaginable to help feed the world is now known as the Svalbard Global Seed Vault between Norway and the North Pole. As Drouin puts it in Cosmos, quote, Did you eat today? If the answer is yes, then you probably ate something that descended from the seeds that botanists died to protect. Think about that for a moment. Think of that ultimate sacrifice for the good of humanity. How many would be willing or capable of that? Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Next time, unless something other phenomenal topic comes across my desk, I'm going to cover the life of Ivan Bunin, the first Russian to win the Nobel Prize for Literature. So, until we meet again, (laughs) Dasvidanya i Spasiva Bolshoya.